PressBox fans, Sixt offers a whole new rental car experience. At Sixt, you can rent top quality cars like the 2018 Jaguar F-Type at affordable prices. Sixt locations can be found in major cities like Miami, LA, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Dallas, Philly, Seattle, and in over 105 countries internationally. Head to Sixt.com to find a branch near you or your next destination. That's Sixt, S-I-X-T dot com, Sixt, drive first class, pay economy. David, ABC News briefly reported via Chiron that Paul Manafort <laughs> had pled guilty to five charges of manslaughter before the network later apologized. Oh, no. What I want to know is, is there anything I can add to that? <laughs> no, <headline>? no. <laughs> I got nothing. I got. I saw that and I said, that's our, oh, that's our, the cold open for our show. And uh, and I have no nothing funnier than the fact that that existed. There's nothing to pivot to, really, is there? No. I think we were talking about in the office earlier. Is there like, should we have some kind of Tyson zone exception when a media company goes completely nuts that <laughs> it's not really libel or slander if it's just so ridiculous, right? Wait, are you talking about the Tyson zone that like the new, like the Chiron was <laughs> yes. so bizarre that, yes. it's, that it's, it's too bizarre to offend, basically? The ABC News Chiron was in the Tyson zone. N- not the Tyson zone of like any news that came out of the Trump Russia investigation broadly defined <laughs> at any moment is believable. Zone. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of, that's kind of that's kind of the problem with this, right? It's, yeah. it, it more begs the question: What news about a Trump official would you not believe at this point, no matter how <laughs> ridiculous? Oh man, I am going to uh, not answer that question. I'm going to assert my Fifth Amendment privilege, and let's move on to the bulk of the show here. We will strive to remain libel and slander free on the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you are allowed to tip draft picks. We are Brian <laughs> Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. Your Ringer syllabus for today. If you're still decoding Sunday's Westworld finale, check out the live postgame show starring one David Shoemaker along with Danny Heifetz's five pressing questions about the finale. On the NBA free agent front, you can read John Gonzalez on who's running the Philadelphia 76ers and our pal Justin Verrier on the 10 biggest questions of the offseason. Yeah. And also read Molly McKee, one of my favorite Ringerites on the phenomenon of rage giving in the age of Trump. But David, I've got three topics for you today. First of all, the images we see of immigrants at the border Mm -hmm. versus the tweets we see from Donald Trump and his allies. Yeah. Scenes from a 21st century media war. Second, we'll discuss how ESPN insider Adrian Wojnarowski dunked on the NBA draft. (laughs) And finally, we take stock of Rolling Stone's new piece on Johnny Depp and the state of the celebrity profile. Love it. Plus, as always, our overworked Twitter joke of the week. But first, I used to write a little bit about immigration, and I found, David, it was always hard to get people, including left-leaning people, Uh to pay attention to immigration stories at all. But thanks to the Trump separation policy and the images that has thrown off, America's eyes are now completely glued to what is happening on the border. Yeah. And in detention centers across the country. But I thought we'd do a couple of things. Let us look at the images that have come out from the media. Yeah. And then let's look at some of the images and statements that have come from the White House after that. So first of all, I think the biggest one, a week ago Monday, ProPublica obtained from one of the facilities where immigrant children being held this, this tape, which was the sound of children. Children. 
Bueno, aquí tenemos una orquesta. As ProPublica put it, the, we hear also the baritone voice of a Border Patrol agent booming above the crying, well, we have an orchestra here, he jokes. What's missing is the conductor. That led to a few things. Uh, Ted Lieu, the Democratic rep from California, played the audio on the floor of the House. Same with Robert Menendez in the Senate. Olivia Nuzzi of New York Magazine actually played it during a White House briefing. Mm-hmm. That felt that just felt like such an an arresting moment during yeah. this. I mean, is it is it is it just this? Why it was so arresting? Is that just a simple question to answer? Because it was so kids crying out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's, there's a million, you know, adages in the political sphere uh, or just, you know, in life in general that 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 apply here. But it's sort of the just, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And I don't and and as much as as easy as that is to scoff at, um, you know, good audio or video is obviously worth a whole lot more. You know, there's sometimes it feels like in in 2018, um, you know, a good meme is the thing with the most power or something like that. But this sort of fit the bill for both. I mean, it, but I, I, I honestly think that, like you were saying, the, the, the immigration issues, it's, a re- it's really hard for the vast, vast, vast majority of, of Americans to um, be interested in because it doesn't affect you day to day. And the ways that it does affect you, it's invisible, you know, and, um, you know, to, to have heard about this policy, to have heard about what's happening you know, it was kind of trickling into the conversation. And I think just the audio was, I mean, just, just iced it sort of, I mean, no, no pun intended, but it was, it was, uh, it just, it made it all very real at all at once. And the fact that it was one of the first things we'd heard from inside these centers because the government of course is tightly restricted access There were some sort of small tours given to the press, <clears throat> right. But they couldn't take pictures. And then the question was, do we print the government's pictures? Because is this a real, you know, are we fooling our readers by not being able to go yeah, in and get Yeah, I think MSNBC had some vi- video footage prior to the audio, or at least that was a sequence in which I saw that Jacob Soboroff was there doing uh, doing some video stuff. And, you know, I mean, it, it it somehow didn't have the same power. I mean, it wasn't video of, of children just crying, for one thing. And you're right, this is sort of like government access issue. Um, and... Even that was sort of went down this weird, you know, fake news rabbit hole of like whether or not there were por- there were there were murals of Trump all over the place and what you know. It's easy to get distracted. Oh, there was some child actors thing, you know, which is yeah. just inevitable, right? But it's 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 so it's it's so easy to get distracted, and and somehow this audio just cut through all the noise. And Trump would like you, by the way, to be distracted. Sure. Um, Jack Schaefer of Politico, my old boss, writes this. He says, Trump can reliably win the battle if it's fought with words, but against images and descriptions of distraught and traumatized children and parents, Trump's superpowers fail. Really good, really good point. And I, and I think that was so interesting about this because he has, you know, even, you know, whether Trump is winning is kind of a dumb thing to say, but he is, he always does a very good job of containing the conversation essentially sure. by just bulldozing his way through, tweeting through it, as we say. Yeah. You know, going and giving strange speeches or whatever it is. And this was one of the few cases where, you know, within days, right, all of a sudden it was like, you know, he's insisting, look, I can't do anything about this by executive order. Uh, the Democrats in Congress have to act, which both turn out not to be true. But then, you know, within a couple of days, he's like, oh, I'm signing an executive order because <laughs> I'm not winning this one. Right. This is I'm taking on massive amounts of water, even by Trumpian standards. And we had to have to do something. Yeah, I mean, I I think that 
Um, it's interesting that, I mean, I think that Jack's point was, was really smart. Um, I must say, I was still surprised that he acted when he did, that Trump acted when he did, because it, it did sort of feel like there was this invincibility to his, you know, insistence upon this, you know, in, insistence upon his inaccurate vision of the world being true over and over again. He's strange, though, because he, on the one hand, he you're right, he does have this screw it, I'm just going to do this mm-hmm. kind of mentality. But he also isn't like, you know, particularly, you know, he's not bent on anything exactly, yeah. right? So yeah. he's happy to withdraw it. Absolutely true. And I think it's important. To, I mean, for, you can easily imagine how Trump can, could just as just as we were, I was saying before, as you were saying before, how this issue, you know, this this tape made it easy for people to humanize this kind of like abstract political issue that that would have affected President Trump as well. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw the strangeness, right? It was even as this punitive policy was going on, he and certain members of the administration wouldn't claim it was their policy. Yeah. <laughs> so on the one hand, he's totally invested in doing something that seems, you know, not only awful and heartless and immoral, but yeah. politically suicidal. And yep. on the other hand, he actually doesn't want to do that or he actually doesn't want to commit fully. Another striking image was the womp womp heard round the world, Jesus. as I believe you called it. <laughs> this was Corey Lewandowski, former Trumpite uh, on Fox News. He was with the former senior Democratic National Committee advisor, Zach Petconis, and was talking about a girl with Down syndrome, Petconis was, who was separated from her mother. And this is what Lewandowski said. I mean, look, I, I read today about a 10-year-old uh, girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. Wah, wah. I read about a, a, did you say want-want to a 10-year-old with Down syndrome what being I taken said from is her you mother? Can pick anything How you dare want you? Up, but the bottom line How is very dare clear. You? When you cross absolutely the border dare you, illegally, sir. you How have dare you? The- So... <laughs> Huh. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> just a, just a tad speechless. That um, and that was just that was just pure. I mean, maximum heartlessness, right? I mean, oh my gosh, it's it's like it's I'm, like a it's like a sound effect. I don't know. Okay, again, to take an un- <laughs> take it like a like a you know, uh, different point of view. I was a little bit surprised that he got as much flack as he did, or that, or at least, I mean, again, this might have had a lot to do with the fact that Trump did reverse course on this, and that this was an opening for everyone to say this is this is the bridge too far, or whatever you want to say there. But it was, it was incredibly heartless and incredibly just inhumane. Um, but like, do we expect better of Corey Lewandowski? You know, <laughs> I guess that the the, the, way, the fact that he took as much fires he did for that that was a little bit surprising to me but yeah i mean i guess at a moment like this just like when the as the audio is the audio of those children crying becomes the symbol of this whole thing um he became the symbol of the administration's you know heartlessness yeah and he sort of did this thing where he didn't quite apologize Mm. and uh you know sort of Blame the media and everything like that, which is, you know, pretty much par for the course here. Exactly. Yeah. Another image was the one that wound up on the cover of Time magazine. Speaking of symbols, yeah. Striking image uh, that was taken by a photographer named John Moore of Getty Images. Time puts it on the cover uh, next to a photo of, the, of this little girl uh, from Honduras. Time puts it on the cover uh, next to a photo of Donald Trump. So that was amazing. 
magazine cover oh. before, before we got into the fact checking portion. But I just as an art a, director, that was a, that was a, I can say that was an, a very arresting, very powerful image. Yeah. It turns out that the girl, though Time did not say this on the cover, the girl uh, was not separated from her mother. Carlos Ruiz was one of the Border Patrol officers who encountered her. Said that the he asked the uh, mother to put the girl down for two minutes while she was searched and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and then she was allowed to pick her back up. Um, the girl's father, Denise Javier Varela Hernandez, uh, later came back and said that he was said he was proud of his daughter and she represented the subject quote of immigration. And uh, he asked Trump put his hand on his heart uh, and hopes to change the policy. Mm-hmm. So this was one of those instances where. There was a powerful image. Mm-hmm. Trump seized on an apparent inaccuracy. I'm not actually sure what's inaccurate about the, you know, the girl is clearly, so it's not, I guess it's not the Mac, it's not the single heartless Trump policy we're talking about, right? But any immigrant child that comes over the border sure. is facing a new <laughs> immigration regime in the form of Donald Trump. Yeah. So I wasn't, t- I mean, I guess you ideally would have used a different picture. Yo, sure. You you would have ideally used a different picture because I think that this is a response, <clears throat> for better or worse, that's been, um, you know, that, that that we should that should have been expected, right? But this is I mentioned fake news earlier. This is this is the sort of distillation of the fake news argument, right? It's not that there is actual uh, fictional uh, news reporting that is going on out there. It's the I you know I'm going to pick one dangling thread from this story go wall to wall on like you know the donald on reddit people are just going to like dig into this thing and prove one tiny thing is false and thus disqualify the entire argument (laughs) prove that the medium makes mistakes right which we already knew but all of that just flies in the face of common sense right ideally this would not have been the be the image that one would use because but only because this is an expectable outcome right it's not like there was nothing there. This was not photoshopped in such a way to make you believe that this photo existed of Trump and this kid together. <laughs> Trump they were was not on they the were cu- they were yeah starkly cut out onto a and put onto a red background. You know this 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 scene did not take place regardless. Um, everything next to it on the magazine rack is have is is photoshopped within an inch of its life. Right from Men's Fitness to Vogue to everything to to whoever's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. No no surprises there. Right. I don't need to like. We don't need to like stay have, hold a press conference to inform the world that like no Muhammad Ali was not actually shot by arrows <laughs> on the cover of Esquire. You know, I mean, like th- these are things that we as like people with common sense can expect, and attacking it for that little point is just you know is deliberately missing the forest for the trees. It underscored to me how complicated immigration policy is. Yeah. So this is this the image of this girl has been like the face of an eighteen million dollar fundraiser. Yeah. Which you've seen, I'm sure, on Facebook. I know I have mm-hmm. about reuniting children with their families. Yeah. Um, you know, we remember we had that meme or thing about separating children that went around the liberal blogosphere was retweeted by a billion liberal celebrities. Yeah, they had turned out to be like false, you know, uh-huh. about how children are being yeah. separated or whatever. I mean, that's this is one of these issues that's really, really complicated. And the the to me, the stark black and white morality is not complicated. Yeah. But the details are. Mm-hmm. And and which goes back to my earlier point about this stuff. A few scenes uh before we go from the Trump White House. There was this um what do you call this? A rally, a a speech that Trump gave with the victims of illegal immigration. Oh yes, where he had signed all the people's pictures of their dead relatives. Yeah. Later, his um, social media guy Dan Scavino came out and said that 
all the families had requested that Trump autograph the photos, all of them. Do mm-hmm. they really think that's true? Um, there was also Melania's jacket when she went down to tour the uh, facility in McAllen, Texas, which said, I really don't care. Do you letter you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which was why why <laughs> was why it. why did that become such a thing do you think oh man there is so much here um uh, there is a deep there, there seems to me there's a deep desire um amongst um you know the liberal half of the internet to to uh see melania as a as a hostage of some sort and to read all of her uh, facial expressions and gestures towards President Trump, and now the clothes that she wears as like a as a as a, like cry for help or her message to the outside. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But at the same time, it was perceived to be a statement on behalf of the administration about their lack of interest in the in the immigration issue, or at least in the, the human side of the immigration issue. Yeah, or uh, or the noise around it, or something. I sure. don't. I don't know. What. I mean, Trump Trump explained tried to explain via Twitter that it was a commentary on fake news, like everything else. <laughs> um, that was clearly damage control. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that I think that. Um, that's a little bit of just noise, you know, in the sense that it was that, you know, Melania is a very interesting figure in our in modern and politics isn't even the right word, popular, the popular imagination. And I, I think, think a lot of right. you can kind of use her as a cipher to sort of read into read whatever you want into what's going on in the administration. And that this is an example of that. Now, all that said, there was a really interesting Washington Post piece about how a mistake or whatever, a, a situation like this happens. And um, I mean, that's worth reading just just as like a really low key sort of, you know, TikTok. You know, I mean, it was like she's got a much smaller staff than most people. She's she's um, doesn't go through the normal sort of pomp and circumstance of selecting outfits in the way that previous first ladies have. And that she, you know, she's much more sort of defiant when she makes a decision. And that, you know, that, I mean, and this is all second and third hand stuff. Just kind of really interesting look into like what that, you know, wing of the White House is like um, it, throughout the years and currently. Um, but uh, but all in all, I think it's it's sort of it's a non-issue that um, I mean it's such a it's such an arresting visual that it's not like it shouldn't have been. It, like I don't blame anyone for running with this story, for talking about this, or tweeting about it. But we will never know the substance there, and it's so and it's so beside the point of what's really going on. We can skip over for the time being. Trump's use of the words invade and infest to describe immigration. Uh, Mike Huckabee's extremely racist tweet. I just wanted, before we close this segment, talk about the whole notion of civility, which we are now like, this is iteration 9.0 of, you know, should, should liberals be civil, right? Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Saturday goes to this restaurant, the red hen in Lexington, Virginia. She's Mm -hmm. asked to politely asked to leave by the owner um, you could just turn on, you go on Twitter now and it's Mark Cuban praises Red Hen for kicking out Sarah Sanders. Like, okay, thank you. Yeah. No, definitely needed to hear what he had to say about that. that was that. a TMZ video. <laughs> right. Um, but I think it cuts to a couple of questions, right? We, we, we have gone only, only liberals would worry this much about tactics, right? And civility and mm-hmm. things like that. I don't, I don't hear a common conversation on the right. You know, it's like, well, should we have been civil about Obama? You know, should yeah. we just, I just don't remember it to this extent anyway. Um, it's a couple of things. One, one is the, how do you fight the bully question, right? Mm-hmm. You fight the bully acting like the bully or do you, you know, you know, go do the Michelle Obama when they go low, we go high. business. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, I think, 
even a more interesting question to me because we actually probably don't know the answer to number one, which is where do you draw the line about what counts as political opinions or actions that deserve to get you chucked out of polite society? Josh Chaffetz, who's a Cornell law professor and also a writer, he writes this, has a tweet today. He says, I take it that for nearly everyone, certain political views are sufficiently abhorrent that they should disqualify those who hold them and especially those in a position to enact them from being received in polite society. Uh-huh. Like everyone, what he's saying is that there, that line exists for everyone, right? Yeah. It's not just Democrats right now at the Red Hen in Virginia, right? Sure. That there is something people will say and do that you'll be like, yep, oh, that's it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm out. You know, you just you're not you're you're, this is this isn't just a political disagreement or something I find terrible. This is just find something like, nope, you don't get to eat in the restaurant anymore. And that that's totally natural and that everybody in the world has a line like that. Sure. We're civility and that this person just happens like, well, you know, a lot of really racist and racially charged rhetoric about immigration. I'm out. Well, I mean, I think I mean, and and the owner of the restaurant, uh, Stephanie Wilkinson, uh, I mean, the, the the story that that the first story that I read about it, I, mean, I believe that it was her staff that basically was like, we're not going to do this. And she, um, you know, agreed with them. But I'm sure but I'm sure it was motivated by, you know, morale and everything else to 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 go through with it. I mean, it took a, it was still she's very brave, regardless of whether or not you agree with it uh, for, go, you know, for for having to say that to face to face. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's. Uh, I think that um, just like with the with you know Trump reversing course on it, I think that the entire administration was um, caught off guard by the poignancy of this issue. And we saw Sarah Sanders; we talked about it last week. She didn't want to do the press briefing about it when no. this when this story started coming up. She knew what a big deal this was. She just returned to the podium today for the first time in seven days. Mm-hmm. There and were I, no briefings for yeah. six, six, seven days. And listen, I don't. I mean, I. It, obviously, this sort of thing makes me uncomfortable. I mean, makes it, it or could make one uncomfortable. The the prim, but but you, but you're, that's ab- what you were saying is absolutely right. There is a line for everyone, you know. Yeah, and, we and should I should just pretend it's a gre- liberals driven to distraction by Trump. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, and if we're talking, if we're talking, you know, sides of the political spectrum, it's, it has been interesting to see the more institutional side of, uh, of the, uh, the of the conservative um, faction defend uh, be be forced into the corner of defending the red hen's ability to turn her down because they've just spent all this like political <laughs> ammunition bakers, yeah, yeah with bakers <laughs> the the fox headline that just came up on a quick google search was red hen owner had legal right to tell sarah sanders to leave but it's bad for business experts say <laughs> um by the way new york magazine had a just a compelling brief blog post about how it's actually probably great for business because you only if, if like one out of 10 or one out of 20 people becomes like a diehard red hen supporter out of this in the region then like you're set you know yeah. you don't this isn't this isn't the grocery store this is a restaurant that's going to have a very limited audience anyway that fox headline is what we call in cooking a fine dice yeah okay it really is perfect reverence all right david now it's time for the overworked twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media twitter made it at exactly the same time after the aforementioned Corey lewandowski incident cnn reported that lewandowski has been dropped by his speakers bureau after which everyone in the world tweeted womp womp this was noticed by BuzzFeed's Craig Silverman. Do you want to guess what the name of the Speaker's Bureau in Washington, D.C. was? Guess an incredibly generic, slightly lofty name of a Speaker's Bureau in Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, Voices of America? Ooh, very close. <laughs> Leading Authorities, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I'm sure, David, you've been paying close attention to the World Cup. 
Pause for laughter. Yeah. I'm not telling you. I'm only reminding you that last Thursday, Argentina lost to Croatia three zip. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say nil. I'm going to say zip. Okay. And zip's fine by me. To which everyone in the world tweeted, Argentina, more like Argentina. That's A-R-G-H and Tina. Also saw That's tons a of- terrible joke. <laughs> also saw tons of Lalgentina, which was actually sort of more funny. Um, that was noticed by my old friend, Alex Hurd. And then finally, Donald Trump- have you heard of him? Gave a speech to the NFIB. That's the National Federation of Independent Business Conference. He came out on stage to the strains of Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. And then, David, he did something amazing. He hugged the American flag that was on stage. You saw this. This is real. Go on. David is looking at me. I don't know if it counts as an overworked Twitter joke to just cite drill at drill repeatedly, (laughs) but everyone went here in one of the classics, quote, another day volunteering at the Betsy Ross Museum. Everyone keeps asking me if they can fuck the flag, (laughs) buddy. They won't even let me fuck it. That's Matthew Zeitlin. All right. Before talking about Woj in the NBA draft, David, let's take a quick commercial break. David, there's a huge soccer tournament. Maybe you heard me just mention it. Unfortunately, the U.S. men's team did not make it, but Iceland did. Reykjavadka is recruiting you to be an honorary Icelander and cheer for Iceland this summer. Iceland is the smallest nation ever to qualify for the World Cup, but they also take the field in red, white, and blue. It's a perfect match. When you cheer for Iceland, you get to do the Icelandic Viking chant. It's easy. Just follow along with me. Huh. Thump, thump, huh. Thump, thump, huh. And most importantly, Iceland makes... Delicious Reka vodka, perfect for celebrating any victory. Go to Reka.com to get Team Iceland gear and find a viewing party near you. That's R E Y K A.com. Real fans drink responsibly. Reka vodka, 40% alcohol by volume, 80 proof, distilled from grain, copyright 2018. William Grant and Sons, New York, New York. Okay, David, one sporting event I know we were watching, both of us, on Thursday uh-huh. was the NBA draft. Yes. It's kind of like the State of the Union here at the Ringer. Oh, absolutely. Maybe bigger. Maybe, maybe it's like election night. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty it's pretty enormous. Our annual election night. And I think the media story of the draft was Woj. Adrian Wojnarowski mm-hmm. of ESPN. Now, everybody knows that during Woj's Yahoo period, he made- well, great- The period in which he was working for Yahoo.com, just to be clear. Oh, right. <laughs> no, uppercase Yahoo. Yeah. I don't know that Woj has ever had like a- you know, a Yahoo period, but I, just, bus, I don't want know? anyone to misunderstand. Yeah, no, no, nobody misunderstand, please. He reveled in, quote, tipping the picks. Oh, yeah. By the way, had you ever heard the, the term tipping the picks before Woj? This is one of those verbs that suddenly everyone was using. Sure. Yeah, it, it was just a, it, it was a very clear, uh, it, it was it was just a, yeah, a, a, a function in search of a word, I guess. I don't know. It, it, it made sense at the time. As soon yeah. as someone said tipping, we all knew, we all nodded knowingly. Well, it's like when draft rumors swirl. Right. You know why they always swirl? They yes. don't do anything else? Anyway, that was seen as undermining ESPN, which had the rights to broadcast the NBA draft because he would put them on Twitter a few minutes before the picks and then we mm-hmm. would, all the surprise would be spoiled. Now Woj works for ESPN. He sure does. Awful announcings. Alex Putterman first reported that Woj now was under the ESPN Omerta. He could, he was not going to tip the picks. Yeah. Right? This was it. Um, Stephanie Drulli, who's an ESPN executive, told New York Times' Kevin Draper, it's a business decision that we're not going to take the air out of our broadcast. They said that before the draft. <laughs> Guess what? Woj tipped the picks anyway. And yes. he did it in the most amazing comic style. 
Yeah, it was pretty impressive. First of all, like I, I, I texted you last week, and I was like, is, if Woj doesn't take doesn't doesn't tip the picks, um, you should write a piece about it. Like you should write before it ha- before before the draft. Who's going to do it if not him? And then right after that, word broke that ESPN. It was not just ESPN that Yahoo and the New York Times and maybe someone else had Turner. and Turner had come to an agreement that no one would tip the picks. no league partner would tip the picks right, um, which uh, which as as the art director for the website who was literally like working in real time to construct the graphics for that show <laughs> was a real downer for me because of that, when I heard that I was like. Oh, I thought I was going to have a two minute. I thought I was going to have a two minute lead time to like make sure all the like the spelling of every name that popped up on screen was correct. Right, you wanted want a little notice. Yeah, um, and then right as soon as the draft started, Shams p- tipped a pick. T- now I'm using tipped exclusively. Yeah, no, now Sh- Shams alluded to uh, to some picks that uh, we said the first two picks were basically like locked in. We'll get to the euphemisms, by the way, right. for tipping picks in a second. And I think Mark Stein also had t- also had some some vague insinuation that something was gonna, was def- was probably definitely going to happen. And at that point, whatever agreement was in place in Woj's mind was just out the window. Right. And and not only was he, do you think he did like the Undertaker sit up wherever he was? That's at that point? That, that's the story that we're telling at the Ringer anyway. I don't know if this was his plan all along, but those two. But, but it seemed like there was some other stuff that came first. And then, but whatever, regardless, he was 100% prepared for what followed. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that it was ever, you know, when I saw the stories about, you know, early in the day, I, of course I thought, okay, that's, that's odd. As you said, like who's, who is this going to fall to now? Sure. But it was hard to believe that he would just completely check out of this business, this niche, which he created. Right. Oh yeah. So for euphemisms for pick. So what he started doing was he would get on Twitter and he would not say they're going to pick so-and-so. He would use a euphemism. So he was technically not tipping the pick. Here's some of the ones he used. Are locked on, are tantalized by, are enamored with, are unlikely to resist, has a laser on, are focused on, has no plans to pass on. My favorite, I think, is when when Jared Jackson got taken by Memphis. He put it on Jaron Jackson. He said, Jaron Jackson Jr. has grown comfortable yeah. with the prospect of Memphis drafting him. So I'm not telling you who Memphis is drafting. I'm telling you that the guy Memphis is drafting feels comfortable <laughs> with Memphis drafting him. Right. That was kind of an amazing workaround, I thought. It was. The uh, the one that I took exception to was has no intention of passing on. Well, you just read it out loud. What was What was the exact line there? Uh, has no plans on passing on. How is that not the same as just saying they will pick this guy? Well, of course, it's the same thing. <laughs> no, but of all the other ones, I thought were inventive, inventive workarounds. That was just like I pulled out a thesaurus and just put in an antonym, <laughs> and like I, I did like a double negative instead of putting like that. That that one I took exception to in the in the artistic sense. In the artistic, okay, yeah. Yes. In the in the literary flowering yeah. of Woj yeah. sense. Um, by the end, by the way, by the end of the first round, he just started saying they are picking them. Sure, he just didn't care anymore. Because if I pick 30, who is paying attention to the NBA draft except people that actually want it? You're not undermining a telecast. No, right? we are. Cares. Our, 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 you know, online broadcast went off at like after like pick 26. So we couldn't even make it through 30. <laughs> it was just a test pattern on the yeah. ringer after that point. But Ro- yeah, Woj at that point didn't care anymore. Um, it was it was pretty impressive. We by the way had I think three. Do we have th- three pieces up on like within within a few hours on the ringer.com about it? You wrote one. Yep. Craig, Craig Gaines, our copy chief, wrote one. Did Mark Titus write one the next day? I mean, there there was a lot of reference to this, and, and that was I mean, 
for for the people who are listening to this episode of the press box in like 2028 you know just to see what life was like back you know in the, in this era it is really not overstating it that that was the biggest story coming out of the draft and i i you know as a, as a as a sports media person mm-hmm. i never cared about this from years past this yeah. was just the most boring thing to me mm-hmm. and you know i didn't i didn't wasn't mad at him or anything like that but i was just always kind of like eh, who cares right so you're you're announcing something's going to happen two minutes later. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It is. It is. It is a low quality woge bomb. Yeah, as and it's these not, things it's, go. It's not a. It's and it's and it's barely a scoop because one because we assume that most of the time between a a, a scoop, you know, the 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 bomb, the whatever the tweet is, and when it's announced on TV is technical stage management time. Right. We have to prepare. Adam Silver to go out and say this. We have to confirm that this is, you know, we're all on the same page. Right. Or maybe they're waiting another minute just to, draw, to out the bro- draw out the broadcast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that was the whole point of his, you know, insurgency, right? I guess when this is a workplace, like a workplace violation, like when your boss tells you to do something and then you sort of flagrantly and funnily do it anyway. Yeah. I guess that it weirdly makes me more interested. I don't know why. Absolutely. Even though it's not any different, really. Yeah. But for some reason, it struck me as much funnier when it was in this this capacity. I totally agree. Also, he we should point out he did a mock draft right before the draft, where and and I was just very interested. Like, what is the difference between a well informed mock draft and tipping a pick? That's a really good question. Is that a, is that is that like is there? I mean, I feel like that's like a kind of a philosophy, philosophical question. What is the what is the difference of like right before the draft? I tell you, like here are the top five picks, versus win team number two and team. Well, number that three. was probably workaround number one, right? And yeah. then and he, he had to, he had to figure it out. He wanted to see how far he could. One go. One other really minor thing that I emailed you about that I don't think matters, but bears mention is this: is Travis Schlenk, the GM of the Hawks, said that he was about to trade up from nineteen to seventeen with the Bucks, right? With the Bucks to make a pick, but then he found out because of these leaks that the Bucks were already locked in on. That the two picks ahead of him, the Bucks and the whoever's picking a team, were locked in on these players that weren't the guy they wanted, so he didn't have to give up another asset to go up and get it. I find this story really perplexing and sort of hard to believe because either, I mean, it seems like if you were Travis Schlenk and you're and you're seeing these reports, that you must know that if you are indeed in conversation with the Bucks about the pick, then these reports can't be true, even though they bore out to be true. You mean if you're still on the phone and then you see a Woj tweet saying they're going to pick this guy? Yeah. Then why would they have already turned in a card if yeah, they're exactly. actually trying to trade? No, it's true. I mean, this is the one way that this makes an actual difference, though, right? Right, and that and that's why I think. I mean, that's why the story got so much traction because it was basically Schlink saying, you know, Woj indirectly screwed the Bucks out of a second round pick. Right, because in a normal way, the Bucks would bluff and say, I don't know, we might take that guy. Yeah. Or I don't know, some other team might trade up with this pick and take that guy. Right. And then you kind of psych him out. They, as you say, trade like a ceremonial second round pick or something and you get a little extra out of the deal. And in fact, they didn't have to trade up. They could have just waited until 19. I think you probably could find more, a lot more uh, issues in the, in the cracks of this story than I just did. But I do, I, I, but you know, I think my initial reaction was that this piece was, or that this, this report was just a huge buzzkill. The next year we might actually not get <laughs> Woj and his, you know, and Roger's thesaurus just like just making draft night all the more hilarious because something like this might happen on a larger scale this will be the rationale for really putting putting a kibosh on it at what age did you learn it was Roger's rather than Roget's thesaurus <laughs> I remember, as a whole kid I was like got my Roget's right here <laughs> 
I don't think. I mean, how young were you when you were carrying around Rogers? Uh, I, I, I'm guessing you were like five, like a kid's thesaurus <laughs> yeah, in, in elementary was. school. Absolutely was. By the way, one one other note, related note. I watched when, especially when the Ringer show went to test pattern. I was watching a lot of the jumps NBA draft show on ESPN two, and that whole show. First of all, they were directly citing Woj tweets, which is quite funny, the Woj tip picks. But it also – that show kind of told me that there's at least a large portion of the population, me included, that is kind of post-draft in yes. the sense that we don't need to watch the guy walk across the stage. He, the pick came up on the bottom of the screen, and it was people I like, Rich Nichols hosting, Brian Winhorst, Zach Lowe, Fran Fraschilla, like smart people talking about like – and then they were like, hey, let's spend like five minutes talking about Dwight Howard because that happened. Yeah. And we just need to address that, mm-hmm. right? And it was a much better way to consume the draft. Yeah. It was like a basketball conversation that I incidentally think, involved the draft. I think that's what that, that was, you know, our in-house uh, idea too. I mean, is that, that it was – we were already – as soon as the picks were announced and in the case of the, when, when they're being tipped, uh, even before they're announced, we're already past it, right? We're this like hyper – uh, this whole our whole culture just consumes information so quickly, and we're always on to the next big idea. And of course, the ringer is going to have the, these like deep third third degree, you know, interrogations of what every pick and every trade means five minutes later. Um, yeah. yeah, and also that it's like I think the draft is only the NBA draft by itself is really not that important after a couple of picks. It's only mm-hmm. important if it's if it's contained a larger discussion. So of course there needs to be twenty minutes about LeBron. Mm-hmm. Right, like that—that that should be talked about when the Cavs are on the clock. That's way more important than like, who the Cavs are going to pick. And at the end of the day, absolutely true. Like, yeah, who cares who the Cavs are going to take? They, the, the idea that that guy's going to be that good. And this is these are the real handcuffs that are on Woj and on and on ESPN in general. Is that they and the NBA is that they are wedded to the pomp and circumstance of the draft as an event on its own terms, right? And it and it makes it really hard for Woj or for any of these reporters to be themselves to do their jobs when you are airing a pageant. You know, and totally. on television. And there was a point in time where I liked pageant. Yeah. 1992 NFL draft. Well, I was like, all right, let's, here's the stage. Here's Boomer, everything. And now I'm just like, who cares about all this stuff? They, I don't know who cares. I can't give you any names, but I will tell you, and this is, I've, you know, I've done all the research. When Woj started, started tipping the picks, it was obviously a big deal on Twitter and, and Ringer Slack. <laughs> and I started, and I looked at those, the first two tweets that he sent out, I started, I started looking at the mentions or at the replies, and there were so many replies of people who were telling him to quit spoiling the draft. <laughs> way more than he, they, way more than what you would expect, which is like, you know, the gif of Kool-Aid man coming through the wall, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like the woe just back. Oh, yeah. There was way more people who were accusing him of spoilers. Spoilers. Like the, the anti-spoiler <laughs> culture is, is actually a louder contingent on Twitter at this point than like, you would think the news consumers and just basketball Twitter, you know, weird Twitter heads that are, you know, do it that are just replying and happy that this is happening. There are people who are like, quit being, quit spoiling, Woj. Like, I, how weird is that? I want to create Twitter too for the civility people and the anti-spoiler people <laughs> yes. to just live there, just to scream at each other all day. Let's just, just all go together over there. <laughs> go away. That's fantastic. Before we get off the subject, by the way, uh, virtual high five because the Mavs um, got our guy. That was huge. That was huge. It was actually a happy draft night. Yeah. All right, David, finally, what was your favorite line from Steven Roderick's uh, incredible, amazing, mind-blowing profile of Johnny Depp Wow. in Rolling Stone? Uh, a couple of personal faves. This came out last week, by the way, for those who haven't read it. Uh, one was Depp strolling into the 10,000-square-foot rented mansion in London. 
uh, singing Oh My Darling Clementine, which is just w- at which point he has just become Jack Sparrow. You know, just like there was the other one, <laughs> the other one, he was talking about his plan <laughs> to expedite the capture as Roderick Wrights of Osama bin Laden. You get a bunch of fucking planes, Love big it. fucking planes that spray shit and you drop LSD 25. He says, you saturate the fucking place. Everything, single thing will walk out of their cave smiling, happy. He also said, it's insulting to say I spent $30,000 on wine because it was far more. That was when he was talking about his bills. Yeah. Um, there was a thing where he had launched the ashes of Hunter S. Thompson, who he was friends with and who, of course, played a movie yeah. into space. He says, by the way, it was not $3 million to shoot Hunter into space. It was $5 million. This is ostensibly a piece about Johnny Depp's financial situation, which is the reason why Johnny Depp's handler wanted Stephen Roderick to come in. It is will be memorable as a piece about the state of Johnny Depp circa 2018, right? A portrait of this guy. Yeah. In sort of, I don't know if it's a late period stardom because it doesn't seem like he's, <laughs> it seems like he could just keep making pirate movies. Sure. For the rest of his life. But um it was. I'm. I'm always amazed to see a celebrity profile like this that actually cuts beyond what is your standard issue celebrity profile. There's a line in the piece, I think, fairly early on, where uh, Roderick says Johnny Depp's attorney and and seemingly his like chief and maybe only confidant at this point in his life. The the line is quote Wallman made it clear that he was doing an in run without the involvement of Robin Baum, Depp's formidable publicist of many years. Now. It was nice of Roderick to tell us this, but mm. it was unnecessary, I think, for him to tell us this because <laughs> none of the things that you mentioned at the top of this segment would have made it. I mean, m- most of them would probably have not made it through the filter of a high-powered publicist, mm. right? And that's exactly why this profile is so great and so cutting, as you said, and so, I mean, actually touching in a oh, lot of ways, I, oh, affecting. I, totally touching to um, me. And, and the fact there was so much laid bare just really, I mean, it's you as someone who's written profiles must have experienced this a whole lot, but the LSD and Osama bin Laden thing <laughs> was sort of a perfect example of this is like the subject is telling me this. The subject would be would be happy if this anecdote made it into the piece. Yes. Would not be telling it otherwise. I don't know. Cer- certainly not in this in this, you know, way that he was telling it, but it's not in his best interest for this to be in the piece. And and we've get we we so rarely have, you know, if The Rock said the exact same thing in an Esquire interview, it would probably find a way like to be edited. It would it would make its way out of the piece before the magazine hit stands. Yes, I'm in some magical process, right? Yeah. Um, no offense to Esquire in particular, but they're you know. <laughs> now I don't know in the field of sports media that LSD and Osama bin Laden come up all that much. I'm just saying, I don't remember. I don't remember Joe Buck talking a lot about LSD when we were at his house, mm-hmm. uh, which was slightly different than the haunted sure. mansion of Johnny Depp. No, but I just I, I'm glad you mentioned the the rock thing because it, there is this kind of celebrity profile that we just you know sort of dine on as a matter of course, yeah. right? Celebrity grants some sort of limited access. The writer, and I find nowadays the writer really, instead of going through the motions like they did in sort of late period Vanity Fair and all that stuff, there are some youngish writers who are like, I'm going to write the hell out of this thing, right? Sure. I got like 15 minutes, but I'm going to just spin a a writerly, you know, aria out of this 15 minutes or 20 minutes or, or whatever it is. And what amazes me is those have been accepted into the Long Reads Hall of Fame. We've decided that those are like great celebrity, you know, great long form pieces. Yeah. And they're not really. They're just, I read them and I'm always like, this is kind of a little confection 
that could have been much worse given sure. the genre, but was actually just kind of a bunch of empty calories. And then you read something like this and you're like, oh, wow. You yeah. know, like that was, there's a celebrity profile. That was really, really good. Yeah. In the, in the, in the biz, in the, you know, in the writing, writing world, we talk about write arounds, right? When you don't get access to the subject or at least not access to the, the you know, you might have some interviews, but you kind of have to write around the main subject. Mm-hmm. That's what most of these profiles are, even though they're not literally write-arounds because the subject is giving them access, is granting them an interview, but it's sort of a write-around to the piece that you really wish you could have written. You know, it's all sort of meta-journalism at this point, and some of them are actually great pieces of writing. Yep. And many of them are. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but in the terms of the profile, you're exactly – I mean, I guess the, like, the what meta – what did I learn from this? Like, no. what, 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 what – or just what information did I get about the subject or angle? We, about we, were, the, we were talking about this before and that, like, you know, there's a long history of, of celebrity profile writing not being, you know, a direct profile or being being about the writer, you know, be, being an exercise in writing. And, the fa- you know, the famous example is Frank Sinatra as a cold by Gay Talese that always comes out – I mean, always that comes up in these conversations, but – but that was revelatory. That was revelatory. You're right. This is what we're talking about is not Frank Sinatra has a cold. It's like Dwayne Johnson has a press junket, right? And we're <laughs> and I'm just going to do everything I can to make this into a piece that people will talk about. Dwayne Johnson has like two sentences he wants to say, and then the rest of the time he'll smile and give you compliments and right. re- fake reveal things about himself. Sure, and, you sure. know. And it's like and it, and again, I don't know. If it's always a fault of the writer in those cases because I think like you know, it, celebrity. It's not like celebrity profiles got bad overnight, mm-hmm. but. The access is much is just the access everywhere in journalism is probably worse today than it was in you know, almost every. It's sense. so hard. I mean, there's so right. they're, that's what the entire PR they're tightly controlled. And there's they're picking. Yeah. You know, they want to pick a writer in a lot of cases or whatever. Anyway, Roderick, who happens to be a friend of mine, I should disclose, he um he is he has managed to do a bunch of these from the Lindsay Lohan Paul Schrader movie to even his you know normal ones that are able to just cut through the bubble just enough, you know, so you feel like you're having a journalistic look at this person, mm-hmm. right? You feel the best pro- sense of a profile, yeah. celebrity profile, especially that you are, you are somewhere you're not supposed to be or somewhere a lot of people don't get to go. And mm-hmm. it's not about just enjoying your time with the subject, but actually, you know, squeezing the subject and trying to get some kind of sense of the person, Right. Yeah. And, you know, I just when when one of them, and again, it's not to indict the whole genre, but when one when you read one of those, it's like, oh, wow, that's different. That's different from what I normally get. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's 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 hard to cut through the noise, like you said. And 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 and, and you get I mean, a lot of these every year, every six months, there's some major magazine profile about an actress written by a man that is um I was going to say deemed sexist. That is literally sexist, you know, in the way that it is. But like a lot, but you can see the motivation of like trying to write through this, trying to find some source of personal connection. And if that's your weird infatuation with the subject, you know, then so be it. Yeah, that was like more like 10 years ago, Esquire, though. Yeah, I mean, like no, you'd, but hear, it, you'd read a celebrity profile, you know, profile, especially of a female uh, actress, or you know, whoa, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's kind of before like Twitter media criticism truly picked up, but everybody it's be still like, it's Yikes. still it still happens, but yeah, that was a whole that was a whole you know subgenre of like Cameron Diaz. I think Cameron Diaz has a crush on me is the first line of your profile or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, but the, but yeah, I mean it's 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 really it's really tough. The, what's really stunning about this about this um, Johnny Depp piece is uh, depth is an easy word to throw around, but that it clearly starts off as one piece and like every great piece of journalism follows its own, fo- you know, follows the trail down the rabbit hole and comes out this like deeper, just like incredibly interesting, um, you know, just by fo- by following the story of his 
financial insolvency, all these, you know, by, by following the story that his attorney and that Johnny Depp wanted him to tell, he found his way through to this like very deep, very um, informative, very, uh, I mean, just intriguing piece that, that speaks to not just Johnny Depp, but sort of all of Hollywood. And, uh, decadent celebrity. Decadent celebrity. I mean, they keep referencing, like you said, all these like 70s icons. Brando. Marlon Brando keeps coming up throughout the whole thing. But, Who was friends with them. Yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, it, there's just, there's just so much there. Um, you know, it's, it, this isn't, this is such a small thing, but it's not, it's not infrequent that you read a profile and you, and you kind of, uh, it, and the, the kicker is just, you know, perfect because that's what we writers and editors pride ourselves on is starting and ending these pieces so well. But it's rare when you feel one when you read one where the kicker is uh, takes your breath away and it really feels like the story earned it. You yes. know, and this one was I mean, this is just a great just a just a simple little simple little moment that just I mean, this the, it was just a really, really strong piece. I found what I believe is the nadir of celebrity profiles. This is April oh. 2007. The headline in Esquire, thank you, Lord, Hillary Swank is single again. Wow. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. All right. Our non-terrible producer is Jim Cunningham. Thanks to Craig Gaines for his editorial guidance about the Tyson Zone. We'll be back next week with more hot takes on the media. Get a bunch of fucking planes, Love big it. fucking planes that spray shit, Love and it. you drop LSD-25, saturate the fucking place, everything, Love single it. thing will walk out of their Love cave it. smiling, happy. Virtual high five. Oh, yeah.